As you will have seen from the uh, overhead, we've got two selections this morning from the book of Hebrews. Uh, the first is from chapter 11, the first 10 verses, and then Hebrews 12, 1 to 11. So you'll find this on 1212, page 1212 of the Church Bibles. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By, this, by, sorry, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Then we move to chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline 
and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father as spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here this morning. Normally, I'm out with the kids by now, so I'm excited to see what happens in the rest of the service. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the kids minister here. And it's my pleasure to talk to us about Hebrews chapter 11. As we start, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask now that you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, that we may learn from your word and draw closer to you. Amen. There are days when it feels like being a Christian is really easy. Everything is going well. We've just asked our friend to come to church and they've agreed. We're seeing prayers answered every day. And when life's like that, it's great. It feels good. We can't possibly see what could go wrong. But then there are other days when being a Christian is really hard. When we're not seeing answers to prayer. When our friends and co-workers are mocking us for the fact that we still get up early on a Sunday morning to come to church. What do we do during those times? Where prayer feels like waiting for a train that isn't coming and the promises of God feels like fantasies. What do we do when our faith is being put to the test? Where do we turn for encouragement? Well, the writer of this letter to the Hebrews is writing to a group of people in that exact situation. The people he is writing to is, are facing opposition at every turn. They're being persecuted for their faith and they don't know where to turn. And so, when we read what this writer has to say to them, we will find out where we can look and look for hope. And the writer tells his people to look in three different places for hope. He tells them to look back, to look around, and to look to Jesus. Because that is where we will find the hope and encouragement we need to keep going even through the hardest situations. Well, first of all, the writer to the Hebrews wants us to look back. If you wanted to 
hire someone to look after your garden and to keep it looking nice? How would you know that they're going to do a good job? How do you test to make sure that they're going to keep your garden look, looking the way you would like it to look? You look at their past performance. You check out the other gardens that they've kept. You ring their referees. You look at the reviews online or talk to your friends. Well, this is because one of the surest indicators of future performance is past performance. This is why referee checks are such an important part of the employment process. No one will employ someone without seeing how they've worked in previous jobs, because that tells you what they're going to do. And the writer of this letter tells us, check God's references. See what he's done in the past. He tells us to look back. And so he tells us, he reminds us about Noah. God warned Noah that he would flood the earth and told him that he, he should build an ark. And so, before there was a cloud in the sky, Noah built an ark, and true to his word, God flooded the earth but saved Noah and his whole family from the destruction. And think of Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, except he was 100 years old, well, 99 years old at this point, and his wife, Sarah, was unable to have children. So despite all physical circumstances pointing against it, God was faithful to his promise, and one year later, Sarah gave birth to a son. And so God was faithful and Abraham and Sarah became the father and mother of countless nations. God promised Joshua that he and the people of Israel would inherit the promised land. But the city of Jericho stood in, in their way and there was no possible way that they could get in. But God, faithful to his promise, allowed Joshua and the Israelites to destroy the city after seven days of marching around the walls blowing trumpets. Throughout the whole history of the Old Testament, God has been faithful to the promises that he has made to his people. This doesn't mean that it would, was always easy. David had to wait 15 years between being told that he would be king and actually becoming king. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into a fiery furnace before they could see prom God's promises fulfilled. But despite that, God was faithful. As we read the Old Testament, we see God constantly making promises and then keeping them. And you probably don't even need to go that far back to see God being faithful to his people. Think of your life. How many prayers have you seen answered throughout your life? Think of all the times you've prayed for all the things you've prayed for. And I'm sure you can find many that were answered. Some in ways that you probably didn't expect. One good way of keeping track of this is to keep a prayer journal either by yourself or with your connect group. Write down all the things you pray for, then you can be on the lookout and you can praise God every time you see one of them answered. If past performance is a great indicator of future performance, then God's track record is perfect. 
throughout the whole of human history and throughout your life, God has been faithful to his promises. He has answered the cries of his people. The other place that the writer wants us to look is to look around. Talk to the people who are on this Christian journey with you and be encouraged by their stories of the times that God has been faithful to them in times of trial. You may remember from the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about faith like a shield. And far too often we fall into the trap of thinking that Paul means something like this. We think he means a lone warrior facing the enemy one-on-one. But that's not what Paul is talking about. When Paul writes that, he's thinking about a Roman battle line. You see, the type of shield he's talking about doesn't just protect the person holding it. It protects the person next to them as well. And in the same way, your faith during times of trial and difficulty can encourage me when I am facing those times. And when I tell you stories of God's great faithfulness to me, you can be encouraged. We can encourage each other. We can hear about answered prayer, hear about God's faithfulness in times of trial. Alyssa and I, just last week, were quite encouraged by what Michelle said. Michelle said that you as a church have been praying for a minister for quite some time. Before I took this job, I had been unemployed for 18 months. That was 18 months of rejection, 18 months of not knowing where we would be, where we would be living, and how we would afford to keep feeding Josiah. But knowing that you had been praying encouraged us because it reminded us that those 18 months weren't for nothing. God, during that time, was preparing us to come here and getting us ready. So talk to one another. Tell each other when you're struggling. Tell each other when your faith is being put to the test. Because you never know when someone will be able to tell you of an answered prayer, of a prayer prayed, of great faithfulness in times of suffering, and you can be encouraged. And likewise, you can tell others when God has been faithful to you. You can praise God with them when he answers the prayer that you have been praying for decades. And we can help each other continue, even when our faith is running low. And finally, the writer of this letter tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus is the greatest example of faith in times of suffering. Chapter 12, verse 3 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Whatever it is you're going through, Jesus understands, he gets it, because he's been there too. He knows what it's like. He was persecuted by the government, mocked, by religious and social leaders, abandoned by his closest friends, spat on by strangers, beaten by the guards, and murdered on a Roman cross. 
all for you. He did this so that we could now draw near to God with sincerity and confidence and cry to him as our father. This is why the writer of the letter calls Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Not only does he know what it feels like to have his faith tested and pushed to its limits, he shows us that God's promises have been fulfilled in greater ways than we can ever imagine. When our faith is put to the test, we can call on God for help. He understands. He's been there. And he can show us where we can find the strength to keep going. The writer of this letter also wants us to change our attitude towards suffering. He reminds us that when we suffer, God is getting us ready for a better life with him. The writer of the letter calls it discipline. And I think this is a helpful way of thinking about it. Imagine that you're up at Westfield and you see a child misbehaving. You've never seen this child before. You don't know who they are. You're not allowed to go up and discipline them, are you? It's not your job. You don't know them. It's the parent's job. Discipline is something that only comes from the parents. And all too often we assume that when we suffer that God has abandoned us, that he has forgotten us and left. But nothing could be further from the truth. The writer of the Hebrews calls this discipline because it shows that we truly are God's children. If we were strangers to God, God would have no reason to discipline us. But because we truly are his children, he wants to get us ready to live life with him. So when you undergo suffering, remember that God is there with you. He is getting you ready and preparing you for the life to come. Back in 2014, over Easter, I found myself in Concord Hospital getting ready to have brain surgery to remove a tumour that they had just found. I was scared, I was worried, and I had no idea what the future would look like. But as I reflected on the Easter story, God reminded me of one important truth. He told me that no matter what happened, my biggest problem had already been dealt with. The death and resurrection of Jesus had meant that I could now draw near to God. The relationship between me and him had been fixed and that meant that no matter what happened, I was God's child and he would look after me. This didn't necessarily mean that everything would go well or turn out the way I wanted it to, but it was a promise that no matter what happened, God would be there next to me showing me how to continue and helping me to serve him and preparing me for the life to come. Life isn't always going to be easy. The writer admits that in verse 12, verse 11 of chapter 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God has not abandoned us to suffer alone. He's right there with us. And he wants us to reach out to him as his children because he's preparing us to live with him in a world where there will be no more crying, death or pain. Because the work of Jesus has fixed our biggest problem. So what do we do when we feel like God has abandoned us? When our faith is being put to its limits? Look back. Look back to see how God has worked and how he has been faithful to his promises, not just in your life, but in the whole of human history. Look around. Talk to each other. Get strength and encouragement from the times that God has been faithful to the people around you and let them encourage you during your times of trial so that you can encourage them during theirs. And look to Jesus. He knows what it means to suffer. He's been there. And we can call on him. God has not abandoned us to suffer alone. He has given us a family and we truly are his children. And he is getting us ready to live with him in the new creation. Please play with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are preparing us to live with you. And we pray that you will help us during times of trial to call out to you and that you might give us the strength we need to go on when we have no strength left. Amen.